Yes, it's a privilege to be with you. I'm uh, glad that we can spend a little time together. I'm not glad that my wife is not here. <laughs> but um, <clears throat> before we start, tonight, most likely, I will not manage to do a lot. We probably manage a little more tomorrow morning. But I want to, instead of giving a sermon, I would like to rather talk to you from the heart. We already had prayer, wonderful prayer, profound prayer, inviting God's presence. We need God's presence more than we need air, more than we need life. So many times we say it, but so little we understand how dependent we are on God. We don't realize that without God we are absolutely, we are nothing. And so, <clears throat> so many times we talk about God in our life, dependence on God, following God's plan, walking with God, but so little we depend on Him and so much we depend on our wisdom and our acts and our plans. In fact, we many times make God our servant instead of our master because we want to uh, convince God to follow our plan and our will and even more to bless our plans instead of the other way around. Do you mind if I take my jacket off? Well, if you do mind, I will pray for you. But <laughs> I'm glad you don't mind. Thank you. <clears throat> so, there are many quotations. I'm going to give you one or two in the beginning and then talk about what I want to talk. But if I give you one or two quotations, it would set the tone. The Son of God surrendered to the Father's will and daily depended upon the Father. So utterly was Christ emptied of self that he made no plans for himself. He accepted God's plans every day. So should we depend upon God. Desiree of Ages 208. Another quotation. The one who depends on his own wisdom and power and plans separates himself from God. Instead of working in unison with Christ, he's fulfilling the purpose of Satan. Wow. That's pretty strong, isn't it? Every single time when we follow our plans, we follow Satan. Did you know that? That's a little too strong, isn't it? That's Desire of Ages, page 209. Everyone must have a personal experience in knowing God's will for his life. We must individually hear him speaking to the heart. Wow. Desire of Ages, 363. The reason God's people have no greater strength and success is that they trust too much in their wisdom and planning and they don't give the Lord any chance to reveal his power in their behalf. Patriarchs and Prophets 493. Each morning, consecrate yourself to God for that specific day. Surrender all your plans to him, ready to carry them out or to give them up as his providence shall indicate. Thus, day by day, place your life into the hands of God 
Isn't that powerful? Steps to Christ, page 70. I'm not going to continue. I have here four pages of paragraphs, and there are more, but you know that ministry of healing, page 478. God would never leave his, lead his children, otherwise that they would choose to be led if they knew the end from the beginning and discern the glory of the purpose that he has for them. Isn't that powerful? We think, we think that we know what is best because we, we process, we plan, we think it through, but we fail to understand that we don't know the big picture. We don't know the future. We don't understand what is going on. We don't understand that God loves us with a love that surpasses the whole universe. That we will never, even in heaven, never be able to understand a drop of his love. And then why says that angels who watch him, they are in awe, continually like, whoa, worthy is the lamb. Whoa, they are continually, year after year, thousand years after thousand years, they are continually in shock when they see his plans and his wisdom and his love. And they are somehow amazed how we don't trust him. And we trust ourselves. Human, limited human beings, we trust ourselves more. And so, saying that, that's only the introduction. God has a plan for you. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you. You know that Bible verse, don't you? And it doesn't say the plan, singular, referring, referring to the plan of salvation. It, is, it says the plans, and the grammar in Hebrew, it's a continual present tense. That refers to daily plans, continually, today, tomorrow. God has a plan every day, every day, every day, every day. How sad can it be to be a Christian and not be curious to know God's plan for you for every day? And rather try to get God to bless your plan instead of getting God to give you his plan. Do you follow me? All you want is blessing. Would you bless my plan? This is what I have to do. This is what I need. This is what I want. Would you please help me? So this way, we make him a servant instead of letting him be God. Christianity is to be a follower of Christ. Christ made no plans for himself. But we say, what's going to happen to me? <laughs> and this way, we fail to trust in God. And I have more quotations. I'm not going to read them. We don't have time. That say that when we don't trust him, is the greatest offense that we can give God. The greatest offense. And then she says, we make him a liar. And she says, God's promises are yes and amen, 100% secure. Not because of you or me, but because of his character. God cannot lie. Because of his character, when he promises, he will do it. It is more secure than the fact that I am here talking to you. I remember I was in Wisconsin many years ago. And uh, my kids convinced me to go skiing. I, I'm afraid to go I, I know you may say chicken, but I'm afraid to go skiing. And uh, I, because I went one time with them, and I fell, and I turned my thumb, you know, kind of strange. And then I took the courage, and I put it back. But since then, my thumb goes crazy, you know. And uh, so I said, you know what? This is not for me. You go. I just stay here. I like, you know, chamomile mixed with peppermint tea and lemon. I said, I'm going to get a hot tea, and you can go. Enjoy the mountain. They went, 
on the black diamond. Now, black diamond in Wisconsin is not black diamond in Colorado, you know. But anyway, they went on black diamond. I tried one time on Bunny Hill, you know. And then I said, that's enough. And I got at the table at the bottom of the mountain watching the crazy people go on the black diamond, you know. And then I see something pretty strange. I mean, really strange. The next one to the black diamond, three people coming down the mountain, and one of them with round black glasses with a paper here in the beginning, far away, I could not see what it says. And they were screaming, blind skiers, tape aside, blind skier. I said, what? Are they crazy or they are kidding? Blind skier, and they would say, left, straight, straight, a little right, straight, straight, left, straight, 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 left, straight. This, this is impossible. I was watching them, and then when they got down, they came at my table. And they ordered some hot food or whatever. I know, I think it was hot chocolate, I don't remember. And I said to the guy in the middle that had a paper here, blind skier, I said, you are not blind. He says, yes, I am. I said, no, you are not. Yes, I am. But you do see a little, nope. You see shades, you see trees. Even if you don't see a clear, nope, I was born blind. I see nothing dark, total darkness. I've never seen anything in my life. I said, nope, not possible. What is wrong with you to go down the mountain? You could die. And he, in the most calm way, said, my friend, these two people, I've known them since I was a baby. And they are ski instructors. And they love me more than they love themselves. I trust my life in them more than I trust my life in myself. When they are with me, it's safer if they are, if, than if I would, was at home in my living room. What a trust. You follow me? And we don't trust God. You know, if I follow his plan, what's going to happen to me? <laughs> and the Bible is very clear, very clear. Seek him first, his kingdom, his righteousness, and he promised the other things will be provided. He says, if I take care of the flowers, if I take care of the birds, what do you, what do you think? I'm not going to take care of you. I gave my life for you. You follow me? And yet, we don't trust God to follow his plan for our life. And we never know what we lose. Can it be that we are Christians without actually following Christ? My computer goes to sleep. It says, it's Sabbath. <laughs> to follow God's purpose for your life daily, daily. That doesn't mean that you give up your job. That doesn't mean that you become a pastor. Not everybody should be a pastor. God didn't call everybody to be a pastor. If everybody was a doctor, who is going to do construction? If everybody does construction, who does computers? You follow me? If everybody sings in the choir, then who listens? <laughs> God didn't call everybody. God didn't give everybody the same gifts. God gave us different gifts. Some people know how to fix a car, and some people know how to sing. Now, you cannot take everybody in the choir because some people, when they open their mouth, you think it's a donkey or something. And you say, please, don't come to the choir unless we go to heaven. In heaven, you can sing in the choir. Until then, just listen, you know. Not everybody has the, the, the voice and the ear, you know, the pitch. We don't have the same gifts. But whatever gift God gave you, 
wherever God has placed you, you need to make him, put him first, make his plan a priority. Christianity is to walk with God. The quotation there, if you remember the one that I read, everyone must hear the voice of God daily. Did you hear that quotation? You want me to read it again? Everyone, everyone must hear. It says there in the Cyrus of Ages 363, we must individually hear him speaking to the heart. Have you heard God's voice talking to you? What is prayer? According to the spiritual prophecy, prayer is a dialogue. You know what a dialogue means? By the way, this is not the sermon. <laughs> you know what a dialogue is? Dialogue is not monologue. When we pray, usually it's a monologue. We talk and then we say amen. And we go in hurry through the presence of God, through the throne of, in front of the throne of mercy, and we don't wait to give him a chance to talk to us, and we lose the blessing. The Bible says, my sheep know my voice. The Bible says, he who has ears to hear what the Spirit says. The Bible says your ears would hear a voice behind you saying, this is the path when you don't know the direction to take. The Bible says he awakens my ears, not my mouth, every morning to listen, not to talk, as a disciple listens. You remember those Bible verses? Because I could give you several of them. When do we do that? Do we know how to listen? The Bible says be still. You follow me? Spiritual prophecy, desire of ages, when every voice is hushed, the quietness of our soul makes possible to hear the voice of God. You remember that quotation? We don't even know how to pray. I'm not talking about you. I don't know how you pray. I don't know you. I know a few of you, but not everybody. I'm talking generally about Christianity. Going to church, praying, going home, uh, doing the forms, keeping Sabbath, eating broccoli, and that's it, knowing the doctrines, without knowing the God of the doctrines. It's wonderful to have the doctrines. They are biblical. But what is the benefit to have the doctrines without having the God of the doctrines? What is the benefit to do all the church programs without having the presence of the God that we want to worship? The presence is what we need. The reason we have no power in the church, no success, is because we lack the presence. There is no power in our programs. If people want good programs, they turn on the TV and they find good programs, trust me. There is no power in our programs. Programs are wonderful, but they have zero power. Zero transforming or moving or converting without the presence of God. And that's what we need. That's the reason prayer has no value unless you go to meet when you pray. You don't pray because it's the right thing to do. You don't pray because you need something. You pray because you want to encounter God. Study of the Word doesn't make any sense. Stop studying the Bible unless you study to know Jesus. Jesus told the, the, the Pharisees in John chapter 5, he says, you search the Scriptures. They did search the Scriptures. They did know the Scriptures. Because you think in them you get eternal life or knowledge or something else. But they testify of me. Basically, he says, you should not read the Bible just to get knowledge. You should read the Bible to know me. Because to know God is life eternal. You follow me? You go to church to, to do the right thing, to worship. 
but worship it's about God. If you don't encounter God, what are you doing in the church? Stay home, eat a pizza, watch a stupid movie. I'm sorry, I should not use the words. Nonsense movie, okay, I talk a little nicer. It doesn't help. How many times we have been to church in our lifetime? How many sermons have we heard? And yet, there is no victory and no power. Why? Because power comes from God alone. There is no other source of power. Zero. Therefore, we have to be centered on God. Seeking God, desiring God as a deer thirst for water. So my soul thirsts for you. We have to search for God. We have to desire God. We have to hunger for God. We have to want God more than we want the blessings. When you go to prayer, how much do you pray for God and how much do you pray for help? You follow me? I did record prayers for about six months in one of my churches. I didn't make them public. After I recorded them, I analyzed them, and then I deleted them. But I, I want you to know, 92% average, more or less, of the prayers within six months in the church, 92% was about me. Basically, not me. Everybody about self, you know? Like, bless me, help me, heal me, my family, my school, my forgive me, save me, da-da-da. me, 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 me. Very little about God. Do you understand what I am trying to say? Very little, Lord. I really, I, I do have needs. I do have problems. I am sick. I am I'm losing my job. I am in divorce. Whatever the problem you may have. Um, I do have problems. I do want your help. But Lord, I want you more than your help. I want you more than your blessings. If I have you, I don't even care if I die of cancer or I live. I don't care if I lose my job or I keep it. I don't care if, if I have you. That's enough. I don't need anything else. That's what all I want. How many times we pray that prayer? Lord, I want you. That's, that's the reason I am coming. I have no other reason. I, I, I want you. Would you please get closer to me? Would you help me to know you? The Bible says, if you seek me with all your heart, I will let myself be found. Jeremiah 29. James chapter 5. If you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. How many times we go to prayer or to study or to church because we are thirsty for God? My father used to tell me, if God was broke, he had no eternal life, no blessings, no heaven, nothing. I would still love him and give my life for him joyfully because he gave his life for me. My father would say, I don't need heaven. All I want is God. If heaven doesn't have God, I don't want to go to heaven. I don't need to live forever. He says, I want to go wherever God leads me. If he lives in a, in a tent, he is broken, he is poor, I just want to move in that tent. I am friends with him. When the police took my father many times, many uncounted times to the police station, stop bringing Bibles in the country. We are going to terminate you. They would say to my father, we are going to take your house. You cannot. I gave it to the church. We are going to take your salary. You cannot. I give every month 90% to the church and keep 10% in the house. My father returned 90% tithe. He says, you cannot, there is no money. I give them to the church because Jesus is coming. What is the purpose if the economy drops and I lose? What is the purpose if Jesus comes and everything burns? I want to use it for God all. And God has blessed me. Every time I give more, he gives me more. So I give more and he gives me more. So I just cannot keep up giving, you know? He says, you cannot, I have no money. I gave it all to the church. As soon as I get the money, I give it to the to mission. We are going to kill you. He says, praise the Lord. Are you crazy? Yep. He says, you don't get it. God's... Wisdom is craziness for people, and your wisdom is craziness for God. He says, if you kill me, he said, 
is going to be a second to resurrection and I see Jesus. That's the best news for me. I'm going to hug him. And they would shake their heads and say, what's wrong with this man? And he would look at them and say, you don't get it because you don't know my Jesus. People in the Bible have talked to him, have walked with him, and have known him personally. Nobody can go to heaven to spend time with God if they don't know their God. Christianity is to know God. Eternal life is to know God. If we would seek God more than anything else, the more we pray, I learned from my own experience, the more I pray for help for my problems, the more problems it seems that I have. Every time when I give up, instead of praying for my problems, I, it's like, uh, what's going to happen to me? And then I say, you know, I am in trouble anyway. Every time I give up praying for help, and I spend time to know him, for some reason he goes ahead of me and solves my problems without me even talking about my problems. Every time I put him first, he takes care of me better than I thought. Do you follow me? And so, continuing on this line, this is, again, this is not the sermon. I didn't even plan that. I have a different sermon here called One with God's Purpose, talking about mission. God has called you to follow him. God has called us his people. What a privilege. We are God's people. The God of the universe has called you and me his people. That's a privilege. Yet, his people don't know their God. Isn't that something? And so, talking about that, God's plan for every day. I'm, I'm going to give you examples. You probably heard some of them online but I'm going to give you a few examples. Uh, I'm trying to close these quotations here. You know, I remember specifically uh, about God's plan. Uh, one example, in Romania, when the revolution happened, uh, the fall of communism in 1989, December 1989, uh, I have a friend, I'm not going to tell you his name or the location where it happened. I was not there. My friend told me the story. But he was a choir director. And he had a different job, but at the church, he was in charge with the youth choir. And they would meet periodically. It's better there because the sun doesn't hit you, so you, you can see, you know. Uh, so every, yeah, I, I kind of, catch, you know. Every week they would meet together and do choir practice. And they decided not only to sing, they said, what's the purpose to sing if we don't worship? Do you follow me? Let's not only sing, but let's worship. What is worship? Uh, Spirit of Prophecy has quite an in interesting definition of worship. You know what she says about worship? In Christian service. Very interesting. She says worship. What is worship? What do you think? We think worship is to go to church. Or... She says worship is to do God's will every day. I put it in my words. Did you know that? Worship is to follow God's plan. Worship means to, to bow down in his presence and acknowledge him as your king, as your master, as your, your lord. That's the reason Israel 
would take their shoes off when they would go in the temple because in that time, in that culture, free people had sandals. Servants, slaves didn't have sandals. When you made somebody free, you gave them a pair of sandals as a sign that they are no longer slaves. When they would go in God's presence, they would take their shoes off to acknowledge that they are servants and God is the master. You follow me? And so, worship is that you acknowledge that he is the master. When you acknowledge that he is the master, let me tell you, slaves don't do what they want. Slaves do, or servants, okay, do what the master says. You follow me? If we say he is my master, and then we tell him what to do, then who is the master? Worship is to do whatever he says every day, to follow his plan every day. And surrender, give up your plans. And so, this group of people, back to the story, this group of young people would get once a week uh, to, to do choir practice, and they said, let's also worship. And so they would spend time praying, thinking, reading, talking, and singing. And they said, you know, it's excellent that we pray and study. But the spirit of prophecy, we just read the quotation, says, work according to your prayers. Don't ask God to do what he asked you to do. Like, Lord, be with the poor. God asks you to be with the poor. You follow me? Don't ask God to do your job. Yeah. It's, it's like you say, Lord, would you keep Sabbath for me? Lord, may the gospel be preached to the whole world. May the gospel be preached. God asks you to preach the gospel. You rather say, Lord, help me to do my job. You follow me? And so they said, we need to do something, not only pray. There are some people that only pray. There is a quotation also in Christian service that says some people pray, 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 but they never work. And she says, that's no worship. You follow me? She says, prayer brings the Holy Spirit, brings revival, brings growth, brings God's presence and power. But she says, after you pray, you got to act on it. If you expect after you pray, Lord, help me, you act, and he's going to help you. Jesus says, Go from Jerusalem, Samaria. You remember? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the end of the world. And then he says, and I will be with you. But that means that you go. People want God to be with them without them going. In order for him to be with you, there is a conditional in Greek. You need to go, and then he will be with you. If you don't go, he's not with you. You follow me? So you got to do what he asked you to do. And so they said, what's the benefit if, if we only sing and we don't do what he said? Let's act on it. So they started to pray that God would inspire them what to do. And they started to, as God inspired them, to act in the community. Help the old, help the sick, uh, visit people in hospital, and so on. But the revolution came. When the revolution came, I'm not going to give you the whole story and picture. It was quite strong. Uh, on this side, it was the army and the police. On this side, the protesters that got enough of communism and they wanted freedom. And they said, you know what? We got tired. We would rather die than live in communism. We want freedom. And so the police started to shoot people. The army rolled with the tanks over students. Literally rolled over human bodies. Yeah. And so the, the police started to shoot the protesters. My father-in-law had to come home. He could not walk because there was shooting. He had to crawl on his tummy between dead bodies. It was tough. Anyway, and so protesters, police, you know, 
And this young group of uh, Adventist uh, people, you know, they prayed during the choir practice, and one of them says, you know, we got to do something. What if God called us for such a time like this? It's a crisis. And in this crisis, we just go to church and go home. That's very comfortable. But remember, it was not comfortable for Esther. And Mardokai says, you are, what if God called you for such a time like this? And if you don't do what you're supposed to do, God's help will come from a different place, but you will be responsible. And they said, we got to do something. And one of them says, no, we cannot go out in the street. We'll all be shot, killed. And they say, well, every time when you obey God, you have to step out in faith. You have to test the Lord, you know. So they said, let's pray and let's go out. What shall we do? What shall we do? Well, it was Christmas. Revolution happened in December during the Christmas season. It was Christmas. And they were practicing for the Christmas program. So they said, let's go in the streets and sing to the police and to the protesters Christmas songs and then pray for them. Now, if you know anything about communism, can you imagine in a communist country somebody singing religious songs in public? Well, let me tell you, in my life until revolution, I never heard a religious song or see a religious book or watch a religious program on the TV or radio, listen. I've never in my life. If that happened, people who did it would have been arrested on the spot. And they could have lost their life or at least their freedom forever. And so nobody had the courage to just, you would not listen at the radio. It was always communist songs praising the leader, worshiping the leader, uh, like they would call him the son of the country, the, the, the star of the country, and they would sing songs to him. I, I was tired of it. I had allergy just to hear it, you know. But anyway, and so you would not hear religious songs. For them to go in the street and sing religious songs, number one, they could be shot in the street. Number two, they would be arrested. They said, you know what? Maybe God called us for such a time like this. Let's go. These people need this message of peace. This hope of Jesus coming into their hearts. And so they prayed and they got in the street. And it happened when they got in the street, it was right in the middle between protesters and police and army. Right in the middle. Bullets, you know. And they started to sing Christmas songs. I, I don't know for sure what songs, but I do know a few of the Romanian songs that are very common, and I am almost positive that they sang some of those songs. When they started to sing religious songs in a communist country during the fight, during the revolution, instantly, everybody, the protesters, the police and the army, everybody froze, like, what? They have never, ever, ever heard anything like that in a public place. And the police came and picked them up, the whole choir, and took them on the next building that was the shopping center, like the mall, that was a few stories, I don't know, two, three, four stories building, took them on the flat roof. They thought, okay, this is it, they are going to throw us off the roof. Because it did happen, before and after, students that were protesting were thrown off the roof or off the window from the university. So they thought, this is it, they are going to throw us off the roof, that's what they thought. The chief of police told a few officers, 
Go and get the sound system from the police station. What? A few police officers took the SUV, they brought the big speakers, the sound system. He said, install them on the roof. And then he looks to the choir director and says, this is desperately what we need in this country. He says, in this tension, in this conflict, in this, in, in this turmoil, you bring a message that I have never heard in my life, a message of peace, hope. Would you please sing to the whole city so we stop killing each other? So they asked them to sing from in a communist country, from the rooftop to the whole city, on the speakers. When they started to sing, all the streets, you could hear the echo, Christmas songs in a communist country about Messiah coming to bring peace and healing and hope. And they say, people stopped fighting. People kneeled down on the streets with hands up, praising and singing. And then army and police officers started to hug the protesters. They started to hug each other and cry on each other's shoulders. And then they, the police and the army, switched sides on people's side. They stopped fighting against the people. You follow me? Because a group of young people were willing to follow God's plan, to take a risk, obviously. We so little are willing to take a risk. We like our comfort zone. How can you experience God if you don't take a risk? People say, oh, I would like to see a miracle in my life. You know what is a miracle? A miracle means you have a crisis, you take a risk, and God works. We want a miracle without a crisis. That doesn't happen. It's impossible. I remember when I was in Andrews, one of my classmates came to me and says, why would God work for you and not for me? I said, very simple. I have the answer. Would you please explain? I said, absolutely. Your tuition is paid by, I'm not going to tell you what conference, your tuition is paid by the conference, your rent for the apartment is paid by the conference, your books are paid by the conference. Your insurance is paid by the conference. You get a $500 stipend a month by the conference. Your mother is a doctor. Your father is a lawyer. You don't need a miracle. I don't have a work permit. I just came from Romania. My wife works three jobs with $6 an hour. I take two years in one and I work two jobs with $6 an hour. The money that we make cannot even pay the books. Moreover, the insurance and the tuition, I need a miracle. If you want, give me my, your money. Give me your money, and you take my money, and then God is going to do a miracle for you. He said, oh, no, no, I cannot. I cannot give you the... Okay, then you don't need a miracle. You know, a miracle means a crisis. You are in front of the Red Sea. You need a miracle. We say, Lord, would you do something for me? You don't know what you pray for. <laughs> Jesus is coming sooner than we think. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. He's on the way. Look around. Jesus is coming. We are going to live the greatest crisis in earth history. If we don't step out in faith, if we don't step out of our comfort today and learn to know our God and learn to follow our God and learn to trust our God, how are we going to go through the crisis? If we don't increase, develop, experience our faith, how are we going to trust him in the greatest crisis of earth history? when people are going to lose their minds in crisis. God is calling each one of us every day to make him a priority. Above life, above job, above family, above anything else. Jesus says, 
who doesn't hate mother and father, the easiest one, mother-in-law, and so on, cannot be my disciple. The word is not hate. In Greek, the word is misheo. Misheo doesn't mean to hate. Misheo means to love less than, or love for this compared to love for that looks like hate. Basically, you love this so much that this love, it's so small, it looks like hate. Misheo means to love God so much that the, the love for the others, it's like this. You follow me? Jesus says, if you don't love him so much that you love him more than anything else, more than job, more than health, more than family, more than life itself, to the point that you are ready, joyfully, not grudgingly, joyfully to sacrifice anything, and you say, this is nothing, it's a privilege, I can sacrifice my life joyfully for him. Unless you are ready to do that, you are not a Christian. He says, unless you hate everything else compared to love for me, you cannot be my disciple. Do you love God so much to the point that everything else looks like hate? Because if not, we are not Christians. We may be in the books of the church, but we don't know our God. Our biggest problem is not the problems that you think about. Our biggest problem is that we don't know our God and don't love our God as we should. And our greatest need is to seek God. Remember, remember Psalm 63. It says, a psalm of David in the wilderness of Judea. King David, if you know the history, you probably do know, was running for 10 years. 10 years is a long time. You may run a month or two or a year. After that, you get tired. For 10 years, running from King Saul. And the king of the country, with the army of the country, after him to kill him. Now, if you've been, I've been there. I've been there. In the wilderness of Judea, you know what is there? Nothing. I don't even know why those people fight for that land. Because there is nothing there. Nothing. Just sand and rocks. In the wilderness of Judea, I've not seen a, 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 a little grass or a tree or a flower or water or nothing. Zero. Nothing. It's just, it's flat and then mountains with caves. Over 10,000 caves. All of them dry and empty. And when I was there, the temperature was crazy. It was like around 126 or more. Hot. And, and we got off the bus, and I wanted to walk through the wilderness, and the, the bus driver says, don't you go there! I said, why? He took a rock, he threw it, and then scorpions came. Scorpions in the sand. Dangerous! Now, remember, King David had 600 soldiers with him, and the Bible says, plus their wives, plus their children. How many people? You follow me? Over 2,000, 2,500, 3,000 people. If you are in the wilderness of Judea with 2,000 people, what do you pray for? I bet you pray for water. You need to, to, to give water to 2,000 people every day. Basically, you cannot have a bottle of water. You need a ton of water every day. And there is no water, not a drop, not a river, not a creek, nothing, zero. You need food, those people need to eat, you know? Where do you get a train, 20 wag wagons of food to feed 2,000 people? Can you grasp it? Where do you get the food from? 
And then you need protection from the king because you don't have a place to hide. Those caves, if you go, they are small. You go and that's the cave and you go out. They are small. A few of them are bigger. Only a few. Where do you hide from the king? You have to keep running all the time like crazy. You pray for protection. You pray for justice. I know what you pray for because I hear people praying in the church, you know? We pray for help for our problems. You read Psalm 63. It says, in a dry land where there is no water, I've seen you in the sanctuary. When I go to prayer, I've seen you. Oh, your presence is better than food. When I am with you, I need nothing. I don't want water. I don't want food. I don't want protection. I don't want life. I want you. I want you more than food. You are best, better than the best, richest food in the world. I want you, period. I don't need anything else. When is the last time when you prayed that prayer? Lord, oh, I do have needs. But you know, I don't want healing. I don't want help in my school or my job. I want you. If I have you, that's sufficient. I can die. Simeon, when he saw baby Jesus being born, he says in the Bible, in Luke, that Simeon took the baby in his arms and says, now I can live, I don't care. I can live or die, I don't care anymore. I've seen Jesus. I've seen Messiah. To say, I've seen you, I don't even care if I die. When is the last time when you've said that? Christianity is to know your God so well and love him so much to the point that you forget self. Literally. As John the Baptist says, in prison, I shall decrease and he shall increase. That's Christianity. They arrested my father uh, and uh, they said, we, we, we keep telling you to, to, to stop and you don't stop. You bring Bibles, you build churches. And so they put the gun in his chest and my father says, hold on a second. Let me open the shirt. They say, the bullet can go through the shirt. And my father says, yes, I know, I know. But don't, don't stay in the shirt because there are so many poor people who don't have a shirt. Let me take it down, give it to somebody poor, and then you can kill me. They say, are you crazy? Don't you care for your life? He says, no, I, I don't care for my life. I care for Jesus. If, if he wants me to live, I live. He saved Daniel from the lions then. He saved the three men from the fire. If he wants me to live, I live. If he wants me to die, who am I to decide? I am joyful. I do whatever he wants. And they said, there is no God. He said, oh, I feel sorry for you. You have not seen my God. I see him every day. I talk to him every day. Can you say that in front of the gun? Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm happy. If you want me to live, I live. If you want me to die, I die. I'm happy. I do whatever he says. That's Christianity. Yeah. Let me give you another example. Of, of, of following God's plan. My computer keeps going to sleep. Yeah. Uh, I was, I was uh, you probably heard me telling the story. I was in California preaching somewhere. I'm not going to tell you the place. Preaching. And, and I spoke too many times. Basically, I lost my voice almost. When I lose my voice, nobody's happy except my wife. So I, I spoke Friday night. Saturday morning, 9.30, Saturday morning, 11 o'clock, Saturday afternoon, 2, Saturday afternoon, 3 o'clock, and then I spoke again around 6, and then I had a meeting with the pastor and the elders and the leaders around, I don't remember, 7, and then we had questions and answers, and then we ate. So I flew from the East Coast to the West Coast Friday. After a long flight, I speak like a million times, and then red-eye flight Saturday night, 
my plane would leave at 11.30, fly almost six hours to Atlanta, stay one hour in the airport, and then fly another one hour and a half to Baltimore, and then drive another one hour and a half. Basically, I would leave at 11.30 from the airport from LA and be home around noon next day. But remember, when you fly back, not only that you fly six hours, you also lose three hours. You follow me? So that's nine hours from LA to Atlanta, and then another one hour in Atlanta, and then another uh, one hour and a half to Baltimore, and then another one hour and a half driving home. Not to mention that you have to be in the airport one hour earlier. You follow me? And so basically, no sleep. And I was after a whole Sabbath of preaching, I was squeezed like a lemon. I was, you know. So I prayed a nice Adventist prayer. When I got on the plane, uh, I was at the gate around 10.30. I had to go a little early to drop the rental car. So straight from the meeting with, from the church, to the airport, no break. No food. Ooh, that's a tough one. Anyway, and so I got to the airport, dropped the car, get on the plane, got on my chair and prayed. Like we pray, Lord, would you please help me rest for six hours? Don't let anybody sit next to me so I could sleep. Is that a good or a bad prayer? It depends. If you are me, it was a good prayer, you know, <laughs> if you're tired. And as soon as I prayed, I heard a voice. I didn't hear a voice. You know, in my mind, my mind spoke to me and said, didn't you just preach that you have to follow God's plan? Don't ask God to follow your plan. I said, yeah, 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 but now I am tired. I need to sleep, so I am asking him to help me sleep, you know. So how, how is that you following God's plan? I said, well, Lord, but... I need to sleep. And God spoke in my mind again. Who has given you extreme health and energy and strength? Do you think that health is from you or is my blessing? I said, no, I know it's a blessing. Then, don't you think that I can give you in one hour rest as I give to other people in 10 hours? Yes. Then why do you pray that way? I prayed the prayer that I hated even when I started to pray. I said, Lord, I know you are right. But if you, okay, if you have somebody that needs a blessing and needs my help, I sacrifice my night. Okay, let them stay next to me. I even hated to say it. As soon as I said amen, a big lady sat next to me at the window. She was big. She took part of my chair. I had to do this, you know. And right away, a big lady came on my left. And she was big. I was like a, a, a sardine in a can, you know. I was squeezed like this. I said, heaven. This is going to be the worst trip of my life. Six hours. When I get to Atlanta, I'm going to be numb. I hate this trip. Why in the world I pray? Here I am. Tell me what you want me to do. I made myself available. If you want me to lose my night, I lose my night. Why did I pray that? Be careful what you pray, you know. And then the lady at the window started to cry. She put her head in her palms and she was sobbing. I said, can I help you? She said, no, leave me alone. I said, okay, that's easy. Problem solved. I don't need to talk. I can rest. My voice is already gone, you know. But then the lady in the left side, she had some tickling in the tongue. She could not keep it quiet. So she says to me, how can you help her? Don't you see that she is crying? I said, I don't know. I can pray for her. Ah, you believe in prayer? I said, yes. Me too. I said, okay. And for two reasons. Number one, because I was tired. Number two, because when you tell people, they never listen and they don't like it. 
When you let them talk is when they love you and they say that you are a good person and they value you. So I was tired and I wanted her to, you know, so I said, you believe in prayer too? Yeah. I said, okay, tell me what you believe. And I let her talk. And she talked for 10 minutes. She told me everything she knew about prayer. I said, wonderful. And they said, you too? I said, yeah. She said, tell me. I said, okay. Now it's my turn, you know. So I started to share with her, but not theory, theology. You know, the translation from Greek, da, 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 uh-uh. stories. Because people forget the theory, but people do remember the stories. Theory goes only to the mind. Stories go to the heart. And you need to win, win the heart, you know. So I told her a story, and then a little lesson, and another story. When I started to talk to her about prayer, the lady from the window stopped crying, and she's, she started to listen. And they said, well, I guess you can help me. You can pray for me. I said, okay, I'm happy to pray. What do you want me to pray for? What, what, what's the need? Well, when I got on the plane, I got a text from my husband that she's divorcing me. She's going with a different lady. I said, obviously, I could not have helped you with this because I am married, you know. Only prayer, that's all I can do. <laughs> she smiled. I said, oh, now I like you smile a little. I don't like when ladies cry, you know. So she became serious again. I said, let me pray for you. I pray for her. As soon as I finish praying, she says, it doesn't help. Well, what do you expect? Well, I still have no comfort and he's still leaving me. What can I do? The world, well, your prayer doesn't do anything. Ooh. So I prayed in my mind, Lord, what can I do? There is nothing I can do to help her. And I said, Lord, if I would ask for me, give me wisdom, give me whatever. I don't want to ask for me, but if I ask for her, would you please answer? This is not about me. I'm not concerned with my needs. You promise wisdom to those who ask. It's your promise. Give me wisdom to know what to tell her, that would comfort her. God keeps his promises. Moreover, when you don't pray for a blessing for self. In that moment, God inspired me and I said, lady, what I'm going to say next is going to seem very rough. Don't get upset. Just let me finish. Hear me. She says, what do you want to say? I said, lady, I know it hurts what I say, but you are better off. What are you talking? I said, let me finish. I said, nobody loves you today and hates you tomorrow. This guy divorced you two, three years ago. No, he just takes it. No, 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 just listen. Just let me finish. This guy, three years ago, stopped talking to you. He became a stranger. Stopped coming home early. This guy stopped giving you money. This guy started after about six months to scream at you, to call you names, to abuse you verbally, to make life miserable, and then to beat you, and then to cheat on you, and then this and that and that, and your every day became a hell. And you were stressed, and you hated life, and you felt like dying, and your life was miserable, and you were bitter, and you were in anguish and in pain, and you were at the limit. You could not take it anymore. Your marriage was not a marriage. And he just now got the courage to tell you that he divorced you. It's tough, but he divorced you long ago. He has been cheating on you a long time. Now you go home, nobody's going to scream at you. You are alone, but you have peace. If you keep praying, God is going to give you healing. In a few months, I don't know, two, three, six, ten months, you forget. Then, don't just marry somebody because they look good. Oh, Don't marry somebody because they have money. Pray that God will lead you to a guy 
who loves Jesus. Because if he loves Jesus, he's going to love you and respect you. And let God decide who you marry. She says, how do you know that he did that? Exactly about two years and a half ago, he started to abuse me and to beat me and to, he would not come home. How do you know? I said, I don't know. I just prayed that God would tell me what to tell you. And he spoke to me. Are you a prophet? I said, nope. You know the future? I said, uh-uh. I wish, but I don't. He says, how I do you know? God talked to me. God talks to you? Yeah, every day. She says, wow, tell me more. I said, lady, my voice is gone. Take this book and read and leave me alone. <laughs> I don't read books. I only watch TV. I said, that's another problem that you need to fix. I don't like to read. You need to learn. Well, I know how to read. Then take the book. I said, don't bug me. Just read a page. If you don't like it, give it back. Read the page. It's not going to kill you. I, uh, you can read the page. I guess I can read the page. Then read it and leave me alone. She read the page. She read two pages. She read three pages. If you tell them they don't like to listen to you, they don't like to do what you say. If the book tells them, if the TV tells them, they listen for some reason. So I said, read it in the book. She read three pages, one chapter, two chapters, until we got to Atlanta. She finished the whole book. One miracle after another, you know. And she started to laugh and read and cry and read. She would give me a hug and read. She would give me another hug and read. I said, that's enough. You know. And so when we got to Atlanta, I said, can I keep the book? I said, why? I want to give it to my kids and to my sister. I said, well, take another one. You keep this one for you, and this one you give it to them. She emailed me later, a few months later. She says, I started to pray. I started to go to church. And she said, I believe God has put you on that plane next to me because it has changed my life. What if I was so self-focused that I would not have seen her crying and I would not have said, Lord, I made myself available. If you need me, use me. We are so focused on our plans that we are blind to people who suffer around. And we live in a society that suffers. And we have no time to be what Jesus said, to be salt, to be light, to be a blessing, to show Christ's love to a, to a perishing world. You follow me? So how are we like Jesus if we are not a blessing? The best evangelism that we can do is to show Jesus' character to the neighbors. Not everybody can preach. Not everybody can go to, I don't know what country, as a missionary. But everybody can be a blessing to the neighbor or to the coworker. You follow me? Or to the classmate. Everybody can do that. Everybody can say, here I am, Lord. Use me today. Open my eyes to see people. Give me wisdom. Give me your spirit. Give me compassion. The Bible says in Isaiah, I hate your assemblies, I hate your churches, I hate your prayers, I hate your sacrifices, I hate your programs. Have mercy on people who suffer. That's the best worship. You follow me? Jesus says, when he comes at the second coming, you say, Lord, we've been going to church. Yes, I don't know you. And then he will say to them, I was naked, I was thirsty, I was hungry, I was in prison. 
and you took care of me. Lord, when have we seen you? Whenever you have done it to them, you have done it to me. You follow me? The Bible says in James, I'm sorry, in 1 John chapter 4, how can you say that you love God if you don't love your neighbor? You follow me? That's the thermometer to test your spiritual temperature. See how much you pray for the neighbor, how much you invest in the neighbor, how much you care for the neighbor, and then you know really how much you love God. Because anybody can say, oh, how I love Jesus. Anybody. That's easy. But see how much you invest in the neighbor. And then you really know to the degree that you care for the neighbor, to that very degree you care for God. My wife likes to buy too much stuff for our granddaughters. We have two. One is six, beautiful. They are almost as beautiful as I am. I'm kidding. Uh, one is six, one is five months old. My wife buys so many clothing that they grow so fast that they don't have time to wear those clothing. I said, honey, don't, don't buy so much. They grow, and this, they never unpack it. It's still in the plastic bag. Come on. She says, no, they are so sweet. Honey, stop. I mean, at least if you buy three pairs of shoes, sandals, they, oh, they are so beautiful. I, think, I, I said, I think you like the sandals more. You buy them for yourself because the, the girls grow so fast they don't have time to wear them. At least if you buy three pairs, buy one that is this size, one this size, and one. So they are good also six months later. You buy all three the same and they never, they grow, you know. Pff, next day she came with two pairs of sandals, both number six. I said, I just talked to you yesterday. She says, no, 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 honey, I just listened to your sermon. I said, what are you talking about? You said that we need to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. I said, yes. Our neighbor has a six-year-old daughter and they are so poor. So I got a pair of sandals for our granddaughter and a pair of sandals for the neighbor because you need to love the neighbor just as you love yourself. You follow me? When do you do that? When do you go to the neighbor and say, I did groceries for me and I also did for you? You know, we had garden. I'm, I'm talking from the heart. This is not a sermon. We had garden in Kentucky. And we have garden in Maryland. I love gardening. You may think that I'm crazy, but I talk to my tomatoes. Yep. And I can show you pictures. I'm not exaggerating. We have tomatoes that are three pounds tomatoes. You hold a tomato in two hands. I have pictures on the scale. 2.96, 2.98, 2.56, 3.20, 3-pound tomatoes. About 40, 50, 60 on each plant. 10 feet tall tomatoes. Yeah. Organic. No spraying, no nothing. When we planted the garden in Kentucky, it's on the mountain. Solid rock. No dirt. How can you plant a garden? I mean, I put about 10 trucks of dirt, you know, oh, oh, oh. nothing. And I put more trucks, more dirt, nothing. And I put more, and then finally they started to grow, and the bugs ate them all. Uh, after three years, I got tired. I said, it doesn't work. And then my wife says to me, honey, you keep preaching that we need to love the neighbors. You keep planting the garden for you. Did it occur to you that you should pray that God would bless the garden so you give it to the neighbors? I said, well, why... I planted the garden for us. She says, what if you make a covenant with God that you give half to the neighbors? I said, can it be only 20%? <laughs> she says, no, love the neighbor just as you love yourself. That means half. So I kneel down in my garden. This is a real story, folks. I said, Lord, if you bless my garden, 
I'm going to give 50% to others. I'm going to share 50%. That year, our garden exploded. We produced so much that we ate, we canned, we froze. We gave to the whole neighborhood every day. We took to the church every Sabbath boxes of boxes and boxes of tomatoes and cucumbers and peppers. And, and we all had too much, so we invited the church over and had a tomato fight, literally, a tomato fight to the church. I mean that. And we still had too much. And they started to fall on the ground. It was obvious. People would come and say, wow, we have never seen such a garden. It was obvious that it was a blessing. In Maryland, we moved. The rock comes through the dirt that grass would not grow because it's stone. It's not small stones. It's solid bedrock. And then it goes down and the dirt is like two inches deep. You need 10, 12 inches of dirt to have a garden. And we tried and we tried. And then I prayed again the same prayer. And then the garden exploded again. And then I got the team that works with me. They came over because they would say, oh, you exaggerate. They came, they took pictures. And then everybody from the team took a five-gallon bucket of vegetables. When you have about eight people, that means about eight buckets. They filled eight buckets of vegetables. Each one left. And next day, I filled another five buckets. And the garden, it's extremely small. It's 18 by 40 feet. Very small. Loaded. Did it ever occur to you that we don't get blessings? We pray for a blessing. I go to church to get a blessing. Good luck. You'll never get one. We pray for blessings. We go to church to get a blessing. And we never experience blessings. Because God never promised to bless you. He said, I will bless you so you may be a blessing for others. That's all over the Bible. It's a greater blessing to give than to receive. Elena says, nobody prays right seeking a blessing for self. She says, God called us to be a blessing, not to be blessed. She says, to the degree, I put it in my words, to the degree that we pray blessings for others, to that degree God can bless us, so we have where to share from. Did it ever occur to you that we seek blessings and never get blessings because we failed to be blessings? What if everybody would say every day, Lord, I want to be used today. I want to fulfill your plan. Use me today. Make me a blessing. Make me a light. Make me like Jesus today. Open my eyes, my ear, to hear, to see. To take time for people. To care. To show compassion. That's the best evangelism. If our members did that, our churches would be filled. You follow me? Following God's plan, following God's plan. For instance, I was driving to a board meeting. It was Thursday night. And I was praying, Lord, use me today. If somebody needs my help, use me today. That doesn't happen every day, by the way. But you keep praying every day, and you make yourself available. And when God has a need, he's going to let you know. And as soon as I finish praying, my wife calls me. Says, honey, you need to come back home. I said, nope. I have a board meeting. She says, Gucci is vomiting blood. Gucci is our, one of our dogs. It's a King Charles Spaniel. Have you ever seen the picture? I should, I should show you the picture on the screen. He sleeps around my head on my pillow. Yeah, he follows me everywhere. When I leave, he goes to the door, and two, three days he doesn't eat, doesn't drink, stays with his mouth on the door crying. Every time he hears a car, he runs to the door hoping that it's me. When I talk to my wife FaceTime on the laptop, 
he goes behind the screen looking. He hears my voice, but he doesn't see me. So he looks behind the screen hoping that I am there. <laughs> anyway, so she says, come home. Gucci is vomiting blood. Woo, I call my elder. I say, listen, you need to run the board tonight because I have an emergency. Somebody sick. Yeah, my dog. Okay, Pastor Joe. I turn around, take my puppy, run to the vet. The vet said, Mr. Goya, you are in a suit and a tie Thursday night? I said, yeah. Is it against the law or what? He says, where are you going dressed so nicely? I said, I have a meeting. What are you working? I'm a pastor. Oh, you never told us. Should I say, hey, hello, I'm a pastor. You, know, you never asked. He says, so, so, so you are a pastor? Yeah. He says, well, you know, I'm glad you came because we are debating here. What happened to animals? What happened to people when they die? Do they go to hell or to heaven? So I said, take care of the dog. And meanwhile, I'm going to tell you what happens to people when they die. <laughs> and I gave them a Bible story on the state of the dead. You know, a Bible lesson. Three doctors there. Two, three ladies, nurses. Two, three ladies at the office at the registration, you know, information desk. Everybody listening. They finished. They found a bone, something. He, he found in the front yard something and got stuck in his neck. They finished cleaning him and says, come tomorrow to check him to make sure that he is healing. Tomorrow I go back. They said, we have another question. You said that there will be a resurrection. How is the resurrection? How is the second coming? Tell us. So I gave them another Bible study on the second coming. And they said, can you come again? I said, yeah. For two, three weeks every day, I went there and I gave them a Bible study. And then I gave them books. And they read them. And then I gave them DVDs. And they listened. Nothing happens by chance, folks. All things work together for a reason. God allowed my dog to be sick because those people were talking what happens to us when we die. And God wanted somebody to reach them. And I was praying, Lord, use me today. I have a friend. He was praying, Lord, I made myself available today. It doesn't happen every day. But that day, he was driving in Michigan on Interstate I-94. It was snowing for several days. A lot of snow. And he was praying, Lord, I want your presence. I want to be a blessing. Use me today. And the guy, while praying, he felt a strong uh, impression to look to the right. So he looks to the right and he says to his wife, I almost said her name. He says, honey, far away in the field, there is a white bump. She says, honey, the whole field is bumps and the whole field is white. Is knowing. He says, no, no, no. I prayed that God would use me and God impressed me to look. And I saw a strange bump in the field. He says, no, 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 there is nothing. You just ate too much pizza last night. He went to the no U-turn. U-turn only for police and fire, you know, emergency vehicles. He turned on the no U-turn on the interstate. He went back to the previous exit. He turned again and then he came again to the same segment, driving very slow and looking. Sure enough, Far away, far in the field, he sees a white bump. He parked the SUV on the shoulder, put the hazard lights, and he walked all the way there. When he got there, an old man, gray hair, white robe, covered with snow in the field. And around the wrist, he said his name and then Alzheimer's. The guy left the nursing home to go home, and he forgot where home is. And he dropped down, and he was knocked over. So my friend took him in his arms, went to the SUV, 
and then drove fast to the closest hospital. And the doctor said, if you were a few minutes late, would have been too late. You saved his life. The doctor called the daughter of the old man. The daughter came and says, I am so glad you didn't hit him with the car on the interstate. He says, I could not. He was not on the interstate. He was in the field far away, a few hundred feet, covered with snow. She says, yeah, 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 yeah. How in the world did you see him? People, when they drive, they look because it's snow. They are careful. They are stressed. They think about problems. How in the world did you see him if he was far in the field, covered with snow, dropped? He says, well, if I tell you, you will not believe. Tell me. He says, well, I was praying, Lord, use me today. If you need me, make me a blessing. And God said in my mind, look to the right, and I looked down. God talked to you? Yeah. He says in the Bible, my sheep know my voice. Oh, I want to join your church. He says, you don't know us. You don't know what we do. You don't, we don't worship on, on Sunday. We worship on Saturday. I don't care if you worship Tuesday. I worship whenever you worship. But we don't eat pork. I don't care what you eat. I eat whatever you eat. But you don't know. I don't care what you believe. I believe what you believe. Then why do you want to join my church? Because you have a real God. The other churches have a theory of God. You have a God that is present and is real. I need a church that has God. Do you follow me? What if everybody would live a life of total dependence on God? What if everybody would live a life where everybody makes himself, herself available every day? Lord, walk with We do sing the song, and he walks with me, and he talks. Is it real, or you just sing it? Oh, come on, don't take it serious, it's just a song. <laughs> Shouldn't we take it serious? Yeah, our time is up long ago, I think so. Oh, yeah, long ago, I need to finish. We didn't manage to even start the sermon or the title of the sermon. It, yeah, and I didn't manage to give you half of that. I have here about 20 stories. I gave you three, four stories. But think about it. What mean? What it means to be a Christian? It doesn't mean that you, are, you have the name in the books of the church. Many from the church. Remember, the ten virgins were God's people. Five in, five out. Israel, God's people. Two in, 2.4 million out. That's bad statistics. Yeah. It says that 600,000 men left Egypt. But in that time, they counted only men that would go to army. That means between 21 and 55 in that culture in that time. They didn't count the women. They didn't count the elderly. They didn't count the children. They didn't count the girls. Only men between 21 and 55. When it says 600,000 men, archaeologists says they were, in history, they were roughly about 2.2, 2.4, 2.5 million people altogether, including elderly, children, ladies, everybody. Out of all that group, only two people enter the promised land. To be God's people doesn't mean that you are part of the church, that you have your names in the books, that you know the doctrines. Satan knows the doctrines. Doesn't mean that you believe the doctrines. Satan believes that they are the truth, you know. He knows that for sure. Which is the, 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 even Satan knows, and he is afraid of it, you know. 
Okay, doesn't mean that you know the theory, doesn't mean that you go to church, doesn't mean that you... To be a Christian means to do what Christ did. Means to know your God, to walk with Him, to love Him, to depend on Him, to be ready to joyfully die for Him. No sacrifice should be too big. To be a Christian means to know God. To know Him, not theoretically, but practically. To know His voice, to talk to Him. I tell in sermons, and you probably heard me like a million times maybe, <coughs> if you call me, I don't know who calls, I don't know you, but my wife and I talk everything. We talk everything, good and bad. We share everything, and we talk all the time. When I go to the hotel now, after we finish, I'm going to call her, and we are going to talk until she would fall asleep. And I watch her sleeping because she falls asleep way earlier than me. And then, you know, in the morning when she wakes up, I say, hey, good morning, honey. She says, oh, you have been watching me, yep. We talk, you know. And she knows that I am hungry. I eat. She sleeps a lot. I eat a lot. I can eat 10 times a day. I can eat 24-7. I never gain a pound. Too much energy. I know it's not fair. I don't care. And so she knows that I eat. And she knows that if I don't eat, I get dizzy. So she calls me. How are you doing? Good, 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 good. I miss you. I miss you too. Hey, did you eat? No, I am busy. Go get a sandwich. Okay. Get a sandwich. I'm going to call you in five minutes to make sure that you get. Okay. Bye. Love you. Love you. Five minutes later, did you get a sandwich? No. I told you that I call you back. Go get a sandwich. Okay. You do it. You promise? Yes. Okay. Love you. Love you. Five minutes later, did you get a sandwich? Yes, I did. Okay, love you, love you. Two hours later, hello, how are you doing? Good. Are you busy? Yeah. When do you come home? Uh, five o'clock. Are you hungry? Yeah. Do you have an apple? No. Get an apple. Okay, love you, love you. You, you follow me? When I drive home, I go between mountains. I lose signal. Trut. Honey, sandwich, love you. You know? <laughs> how do I know that he's my wife? I know the voice. I know the message. She's always consistent. I know her really well. We talk, we talk so much. When we have visitors, she doesn't need to tell me what to do. She just looks at me, and I know, and I do it. I don't, talk, I don't argue. We know each other because we talk a lot. You want to know God's voice? You need to talk to him quite a lot. You need to talk to him until you get to know him because God is consistent. God doesn't change. The more you talk to him, the more you'll know the voice and you'll know the message. You follow me? You need to spend time with your God. We need to spend time with our God. We need, if you love him, you spend time with him. In the, in the Bible, in Psalm, he says, when I go to sleep, you are with me. And then David says, in the watches of the night, if I wake up, you are by my bed. Isn't that absolutely wonderful? You go to sleep talking to God, you fall asleep, and God is still there. And if you wake up, he's still there waiting for you. In the morning when you, you wake up, he's waiting for you to continue to talk. And we have no time. We say a quick 15 seconds prayer and go. Instead of, or you do our duty, I read three chapters. Hello. You don't need to read three chapters. But you do need to connect. You do need to study, but not... I hear people, if I do three chapters a day, I should be okay. 
It's not a duty, you follow me? It's a thirst. You study to know God. And so God is waiting for you by your bed. Isn't it sad that we don't have time for our God? We do have time for jobs. We do have time for entertainment, for family, for self, not for God. The Bible says, whatever is your treasure, that's where your heart is. You follow me? Okay, let's finish. God is calling us. I didn't do the sermon that I had for tonight. God is calling us. Moreover, in the time we live, in this time, God is calling us to have a personal experience with him. Each one individually to know him well to the point that we trust him. You cannot trust a stranger. You cannot trust somebody that you have not experienced. The more you know him, the more you experience him, the more you trust him and you feel safe and secure. You don't need to understand. You know him and that's enough. God is calling us to have a personal experience with him, to know him, to trust him, to obey him, never doubt him. The times that we live require that type of experience. Otherwise, we will never be ready for the second coming. There is no more time. There is no more time to procrastinate. Jesus is coming. If we don't prepare now, if we don't get to know him now, then when? Okay. Let's have a, pr a prayer together. Um, I apologize for not giving you the sermon, but you know, let's pray together and we will do the sermon tomorrow. Father in heaven, what a privilege that we can come in your presence, the God of the universe, the most holy one, the king of kings. We can come in your presence and literally talk to you and that you listen and you care and you answer better than we pray. Lord, please help us to love prayer, to love you, to thirst for you. Help us to want you more than anything else. Help us to start today, not to procrastinate tomorrow, to start today, to seek you, to say, Lord, help me to pray, help me to know you, help me to desire you. Put that hunger in me for you. Help us all to have that experience every day to the point that we get closer and closer and closer to you. We know you more and more. We love you more and more. Until we will be filled with your presence. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.